Hello, my name is Alison Hirakawa. Uh, I beat the often path by accelerating the pace of discovery, not with robotics or conventional automation, but by taking a highly scalable existing platform, a printed circuit board, and using that to accelerate gene editing. Alison Hirakawa, PhD, is the co-founder and CEO of Drop Genie. Drop Genie is a groundbreaking startup in the tech biospace, making gene editing cheaper and lowering the amount of donor cells required. Doesn't sound like a big deal, maybe, but it's huge. They've made a little plastic tray, not much larger than the size of a playing card, that makes molecular surgery affordable and scalable. Now, the card itself looks something like a maze or a Pac-Man game, where a single droplet can be moved from one square to another. Looks like a video game, but it's real life via a revolutionary system of electric gates, which can be controlled by a computer and automated, etc. Which means that they can miniaturize experiments in a way that was never before thought possible using way less input material, aka donor material, down to a single droplet scale. This is truly at the very cutting edge of technology that will soon impact us all, as gene editing has the ability to cure a range of genetic diseases by directly manipulating our DNA. I can't tell you how excited I am about this episode. Soon, this tech just might improve all of our lives. So here right now is Alison Hirakawa. I am Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Okay, these are things that I understand a lot about. <laughs> You're talking to the world's foremost authority and all of the stuff that you just said. So I'm going to be very skeptical of all of the claims that you're about to make. Um, but before we begin, quick question. Would you say that you operate in biotech or tech bio? Mm, I have recently learned that yes. there's apparently a difference. I think we consider ourselves tech bio, um, mostly because when people think of conventional biotech, they are... Uh, developing an asset. We are not asset builders. We enable drug hunters to discover things. So we're tool builders. So we put the tech before the bio, but I'd say everyone in our team in spirit is half engineer, half biologist, um, some kind of like mix of those in between. How awesome is that? It's great. It's a great place to live. <laughs> yeah, how, how, um, how long have you been an entrepreneur? Is this something new for you or have you always... Been thinking that way. So in terms of like uh, actually being a legitimate entrepreneur, card-carrying entrepreneur, we started the company five years ago. But I, you know, thinking about have you always been that way, I, I told, that totally resonates with me because I do think there's this like spirit and sort of a, a need um, that isn't necessarily maybe in all of us or not necessarily in us unless we find the right problem we want to solve. So I do feel like that pre-existed actually start starting the company, but a card-carrying founder for five years. Okay. Yeah. You didn't have a lemonade stand when you were a kid? <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, now that you say Selling that, candy bars for coins? So, okay. Good, funny story. So when I was about nine, my sister and I tried to start this like neighborhood natural cosmetics company. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it, was, <laughs> it even had a name. And my sister, who's like an incredible artist, designed the logo, and it was called Epona. And I would like. So you like Zelda, The Legend of Zelda? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't even know about it. It was like I was oh, obsessed no? with. No, at that time, I think I was nine, and I was obsessed with. I wasn't in the video game world. I was more in the like um, like Gaelic mythology world, and Epona is like the goddess of horses or something 
And um, basically, you know, we would like go online with our like dial up internet, download all these like recipes, print them off, and then like raid my parents' kitchen. And we would like create this little chemistry lab and make all of these, uh, you know, products. I don't even think we, I don't think we sold one thing, but we had a lot of fun. So we did, we did have, I guess, very early on, there were these sort of like aspirations to build something and not just like one thing, but like, like a system, I guess, like, and, 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 and do all that stuff. So yeah, we, we, we did try that a long time ago. I think that's a, that's typical nine-year-old behavior. I think when I was nine, I was just trying to see how hard I could hit my head with a hammer (laughs) before I went unconscious. That's a, you know, pros and cons. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, okay, so the seed was there of something, because that's pretty wild. It seems like you're pretty ahead of the curve there. Um, All right, so in a nutshell, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And what is the significance of solving this? Because I've seen the video, and the Mm, video looks wild. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, what we're trying to do is to accelerate the discovery and production of what are called personalized cell therapies for everybody, for you, for me, for for everybody out there. So the way to do this is really to bring the cost and scale. So bring costs down, increase the scale um, of, of being able to discover and eventually manufacture these types of living therapies. So it's and another way to think about it, so I say accelerating the pace of discovery because like there's a lot of, you know, there's hundreds of gene editing biotech companies out there, but 85% of them are preclinical. So there's still a lot of discovery we need to do, things we need to understand. And so we want to facilitate those sort of early research stage and then hopefully bring those home so all of society can benefit. That's amazing. And are we yeah. talking about stuff like CRISPR and these types yeah, of technologies? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So CRISPR is probably the the you know, stormed on the scene just over a decade ago and is probably going to have a couple of um FDA approved uh, uh therapies. People are are hotly anticipating not FDA approval, but you know, regulatory health approval of some CRISPR-based therapies, maybe even in 2023. So can can you imagine in a decade something that was discovered in in bacteria has 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 come in and just completely changed how we think about how we could treat diseases that were previously thought to be incurable? Yeah. What what do you think the best case scenario is? What types of diseases do you think we might be able to eradicate? I know there are some very specific ones that they're starting with. Yeah. So I think the low hanging fruit has been. Diseases where there is, you know, one uh, genetic alteration that you can come in and kind of, kind of switch, like, you know, play with. The truth is a lot of genetic diseases have mu- are, are much more complex in their genetics. And it's not just about tweaking one thing or two things. And not only that, diseases look very different in different people. So the low-hanging fruit, what people have gone after, and they've, they've shown tremendous efficacy, have, have been, you know, um, places where we've been able to play with, you know, one or two things. Um, the reality is a lot, indications are a lot more complex than that. And so it's desire for the ability to iterate quickly and prototype um, is is only going to grow. And that's where... S- our, our product comes in because we can start to help facilitate that in a cost-effective way. How cool is that? So we're talking about, I think it's like sickle cell anemia, like certain things yes. like that. These are the ones that are maybe the yep. first ones to go after. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yep. So some uh, diffuse B cell lymphomas, that's sort of one of the like most famous ones, uh, a chimera, you know, for cancer. Um, there's been some tremendous waves made in immune oncology. But yeah, you brought up another huge one, which is sickle cell anemia. And there have been some really positive results from from clinical trials that have just been, yeah, inc- incredibly promising to to actually have have a therapy that's actually curative, you know, just treating you know, treating the patient. I mean, it's, it's truly what we think of when we think of the best part of the future. It's, yeah, it's yeah. wild to think about the implications of this stuff. Yeah. So the person who introduced us, who was, as of this now, a couple episodes back, Sri uh, uh, or Sridhar, um, very amazing person. Now, he was telling me that a lot of the industry that you're in revolves around moving tiny amounts of liquid around, <laughs> which is something that I think almost nobody, I certainly didn't know that before, and almost nobody knows because who who does? This is cutting-edge stuff. So yeah. what is the significance of moving tiny amounts of liquid around in a controlled manner? Yeah, so if you think about, um, so in, in biology, we call that usually a wet lab. And that kind of also denotes the fact that you're working with a lot of liquids in solutions of various temperatures. So you can draw a lot of parallels between like cooking or following a recipe and following various protocols, albeit with, you know, more stringent, you know, biological safety conditions and stuff. So at the heart of it, when you are doing a lot of experiments or you're doing workflows like cell line engineering, you are in a very crude way, doing a lot of liquid handling or liquid manipulation, facilitating that on a miniaturized scale, which is what our technology helps, is part of what our technology helps you do, um, is, uh, is actually quite challenging. Most people have looked to robotics and liquid handlers, things that are working at just sort of like another sort of volume and level to enable a lot of that work. And it's been great. But if you want to start to prototype quickly and there isn't a need to work with such large volumes, you can actually really accelerate the pace of what what you're working with and cut down costs through the miniaturization. So it sounds kind of simple, but it's really um, what we've built is partly a liquid handler and dispenser that works at pretty small volumes, very robustly. But we also couple that with a a way to deliver payloads into cells to enable the editing. So if our, our product is basically this cartridge and we've started to layer all sorts of operations involving liquid that are really important to enabling a cell line to be engineered. And for the people who are not watching, it is roughly the size, a little bit bigger than a playing card. But if you think of a playing card, you're not far off. Uh, somewhere between a playing card and a greeting card is yeah, the size of what good, you're showing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, there's got to be something that size. I don't know, yeah. half of a big chocolate bar? I'm not quite sure. Um, but what is, so when we talk about these micro, I would think of a droplet or mm-hmm. something like that. Is that a technical term? Is a droplet yeah. the smallest possible scale in this case? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think um, we we sent, we basically send out, create and send out little droplets on our device with a very, very precise volume. And there's lots of ways you can make a droplet. Um, we actually use something called electrostatic force. We don't have pumps or channels. We use... Um, we apply voltages to our our 
consumable and that allows us to kind of pinch off uh, droplets and move them around. That's how we're called drop genie because it looks magical when the droplets like float around. It's like, like a video game, well. except just real. It's like a little Pac-Man. Yeah. That's what my sister says. And yeah. I learned yesterday that the words are hydrophobic and hydrophilic, <laughs> and that you're, you're yes. gating between hydrophobic and hydrophilic, and that is pushing the droplet from one area into another. And the result is that it looks like it's Pac-Man moving around a grid. It does look like a little Pac-Man, yes. Which is just absurd. So that begs the question, how the heck did you come up with this? Or what was the journey that led to this breakthrough or this development? Yeah, so, well, we can't, you know, in science— no, in, in, in detail, please, and if you have any patents, can you just write them down <laughs> on the screen? <laughs> yes, pat- application All of the most secret, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the podcast yes. wants to know— <laughs> Um, so, you know, like anybody in technology or working in uh, engineering and science, you're always standing on the shoulders of giants. So the fundamental technology, the name that it, it has is called digital microfluidics. And we are not the inventors of that. That that distinction goes to some, depending on who you talk to, there's a, a few folks that had the idea and developed it actually almost 20 years ago, maybe longer. Um, and so that the, I think what's unique, though, is in the past that people were leveraging this kind of technology for pure chemistry applications or diagnostics. So you, if you think about it, like it's really useful to move little drops of liquid if you're doing a diagnostic because you can take like a complex procedure that you typically have to use lots of machines for, put it on a cartridge. You don't need a lot of, um, you know, sample in some cases and and then you get your answer for in a cost effective way. What we did that was different is that we thought about using this technology with live cells. So why why just stop at uh, enabling, you know, chemical reactions? Why not think about how we could use this to work with a living cell? So what what might you, you mentioned is like cooking, so I'm like one part this, two parts that, right? So what might what kind of combinations might be occurring, like a, a bit of human blood, or like what might be going together, and and yeah. how would that work? So on our system, basically, we want uh, the goal of this is to help to uh, create an engineered cell line. So what goes on the system is a cell from a donor, a cell a group of cells from a donor, so it. Can can be immune cells, so that would have been extracted from the blood. Um, it can be iPS cells. It can be stem cell populations. But we really specialize in working with stuff that's difficult to edit or you just don't have a lot of. That's because we're miniaturizing. Um, so that goes on the device. So that's like ingredient one. The other ingredient is what you want to deliver into the cells to enable the edit. So if you think about it... Um, you know, you can add things into genomes, you could take things away, you can do both. Um, you need to have that, we call it, let's say, a payload that needs to be put in. So that's also another ingredient that has to be included on the on, on the chip or added to the chip. And then finally, we have buffers that help this whole process to work. So the cells are, uh, the cells need to be in like an aqueous environment. So they're inside of a droplet. Um, the reagents we work with, we actually deposit them, we print them on our consumable itself, uh, and then the droplet picks it up. But um, that uh, that ends up being in a droplet too. And then we have these conductive solutions that help to push those payloads into the cells when, when it's time. So depending on what you're trying to do, you would engineer a different uh, 
version of this. So the cartridge is the the beautiful thing is the cartridge never changes. You can use software to uh, script essentially the changes that you want to see in terms of movement and electrical parameters. So it's all like coding. If you know Python, you can like play with our we have we have a we have a non-coding friendly GUI as well, but you know you can you can actually use codes to script what's going on on the consumable. So what only changes is really your input. And that's nice from a business model standpoint because then you can like mass manufacture the cartridge. You don't have to like, you know, do redesigns and you can just use the software to change how you move things and what you do. Um, and then also just your ingredients change just like when you're you know, cooking something in the kitchen. It's, it's just wild. All of that sounds like words that I think I understood. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's just absurd to consider. And of course, I can't even begin to understand the implications of it, but clearly it's it's significant. Um, so how does one get here? Did you go to school studying something along these lines um, between being nine and now? <laughs> Great question. So I, 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 I am a... Um, technical person at heart. I'm a scientist. I have a PhD in biochemistry. But um, my journey to building this was not as an engineer, but actually as the customer or application or person with the, the pain point. And I actually think that I would love to see more engineering type products where the person that is experiencing the pain points had more of, has more of a hand in the design and conceptualization of the final product because you just... You, you don't get as carried away with the technology. You just want to solve your problem. And then you search for the most effective way to do it. So in a nutshell, my background is a PhD in biochemistry. My drive is just really my curiosity. So I'm really interested in genomics, genetics, understanding what makes people different, what makes, you know, what what drives different types of, you know, indications. Um, and I just you know, really felt like there was a lack of automation tools and, um, you know, platforms that would help drug hunters and scientists and people that want to do the discovery. Like, we're missing those kinds of high-throughput generalizable automation in our arsenal to actually let us unlock all these questions. So I really came from the angle of, like, I really want to do this stuff. It's not feasible today? What could we, who could I work with? What could we do to build that thing to make those dreams come true? So that's kind of where it came from. So I, I, this is a spin out of a university and my co-founders were working on the, the uh, fundamental technology, but I, I spent years, um, you know, before transitioning more into like a customer facing uh, role where uh, an application role actually building uh, the tech itself. So I got a crash course in printed circuit boards and um, doing a lot of this stuff. So yeah, um, it's kind of how I. What a cool kinda, story. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, so five years ago, you became, you got your official founder card. <laughs> Whatever that means. They sent yeah, it in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it's official. So were you always considering that you would build a company around this or is it some, because you could have gone, let's say the academic yeah. road as well. Yeah. 
Um, so, so actually, the the founding story is that um, after I finished my PhD, I was not working on engineering stuff at all. Again, I was working in the epigenomics space. I was really interested in like uh, what's the contribution of um, you know how DNA is a, is is configured in like a in a like physical way, like in a 3D confirmation, how that affects our genome. So nothing to do with the actual like tool building, but more just still trying to understand like the world around us and and diseases. Um, and ended, what ended up happening was I um, I was you know interviewing for jobs, but nothing really felt right. Like I looked at management consulting and pharma, and I just didn't you know it just wasn't. I'm kind of, I'm an intuitive person. So it just, there was something that like kind of still kept me like, hmm, I wonder, you know, I wonder if this is really the thing I want to spend my time on essentially. Like I love discovery, but I just can't help but feel that there, there is a space here where we need to start to build things to help us propel discovery. And quite serendipitously, I met my two co-founders, um, shortly after when I was wrapping up my PhD, who were more on the engineering side. And that's it's with them that we started this uh, company. Um, and so and so that took a if you had told me five years ago you'll be, you know, you will start this like company in the like tech biospace, I'd have been like, what? <laughs> like what? Microfluidics? What? Um, and so yeah, I just I guess just being open and being focused on the thing you want to like you really care about and what you want to solve sometimes you know you can skin a cat many different ways so it's like sometimes your life and trajectory takes really interesting turns to take you there um and so I would never would have predicted that that five years later I'd be sitting with with this consumable which we're deploying with with partners now actually um yeah uh, for the record you don't have to skin a cat at all <laughs> Yeah, if, that's you a really choose, if you choose not to, I'm a cat um, lover, but it's a very yeah, yeah, sure, cat lover, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so five years on in the journey, how do you feel now? Are you happy with the decision? Do you feel that you have grown or changed in any fundamental way since taking this new adventure on? Yeah, so I, I like I'll use my friend's words that I think she encapsulates this is encapsulates it really well. She says, "I'm net happy," and I I think um, it's really really hard to build something from scratch. Um, it's hard too when you're trying to uh, build something from a market that doesn't necessarily quite exist yet with a technology that was. Uh, you know, it was coming from academic lab that needs to then be commercialized and work robustly at scale. And so it's, there's, a, and, and, and not to mention all the no's that you're going to get from lots of different stakeholders, right? Um, so it's really hard. And I think it makes you really uh, think about what is important, what you care about. And it's, you know, you really have to be, you know, I, this is really what I want to spend my time on because a lot of a lot of this could be it could not sometimes come to fruition, right? So it's like I'm really doing this because I believe in it. So there is a tremendous sense of satisfaction, though I find personally 
in doing that, doing something I believe in and, and building something, something physical, something real, something where we also see an incredible market opportunity. So, um, but yeah, it's hard. There's like so many times when your conviction, your conviction is like dropping and you're like, oh, you know, like. That consultant job looks pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, what? <laughs> Must the, be nice. Yeah, what, uh, you know, but it's, it's also, there's nothing quite like, um, just when there's no roadmap, like, I think that's something that's really exciting. And so, and that's an opportunity where there's this concept of something called like rookie minds. It's, it's the idea that like, if, if something hasn't been done before, sometimes it's not necessarily someone with a ton of experience that is best suited to, to, you know, be successful in it. It's, it's really something, com- someone coming up, coming in with like an, with an open mind, um, so yeah, so it's uh, it's a tough path, but overall, I think it's been um, an incredible personal growth opportunity as well. Yeah. So do you think you've always been introspective? Because I I don't think everybody takes a step back mm. and asks themselves, what do I want to spend my life working on? I mean, mm. certainly that's not very common. Mm. How do I spend the few years that I have on this planet? Because many people aren't thinking that big picture of a mm. level about their lives. They're thinking, how do mm. I get that job? Or mm. I would like to just be hired by somebody, mm. anybody. And I think very few people, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's lack of confidence, but maybe it's the fact that it's tough out there for everybody and mm-hmm. life is just hard. Mm-hmm. Have you always been able to see the bigger picture and to sort of take a step back and say, look, I want to be conscious about how I spend my time? Mm. You know, honestly, I don't. I don't think I can say uh, I think I think I was to an extent, but this has only like been magnified by my experience in the past five years. So I think there was like a seed there, but then there was still a lot of like, um, yeah, maybe it was like insecurity or or sort of you can you can always find a reason not to do something, right? It's the times when you. It's almost this feeling of like, I have to do this. Like, I just feel this strong conviction. And I I believe even when it's like, of course, you need to know when to like stop or or step away. But you just feel this, you feel compelled, essentially. And um, I don't think that you necessarily feel like that all the time. It kind of has to build and you kind of have to find the right niche where you're like, yes, this, this is like, some people might say it's like you feel like a calling or something, um, but it's it's really a feeling and it just feels, even when it's really difficult and you definitely <laughs> does it feel like giving up, um, it just, you just can get up the next day again and you're like, you know what? Okay, new day. Let's do this. <laughs> Speaking of new days, what is a day in the life like? Hmm. Uh, yeah, never the same. <laughs> How many hours do you think you work in a week? I don't even know. Because, like, do you count, like, the time you're thinking about it? Like, do you count, like, all the friends you hang out with that kind of live in that same space and then you talk shop? Like, where does it begin and where does it end? Um, I think, like, hands-on time, try to be really um, conscious of, like, just my energy going into yeah, certain certain aspects of it, but it's I, I would I would say it's not a nine to five. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like it's it's something, you know, when you really like something, like you just kinda wanna do it. You know, you just find yourself 
you find the energy or you find yourself gravitating toward it. That being said, there's lots of, you know, things that are less fun to deal with, um, you know, when you're starting and running a company. But um, I think, yeah, it's, uh, I, I would just say it's not nine to five. Yeah. As you grow, has your interest increased? Because I'm sure you know a lot more now that you had no idea about yeah. when you first began. Is it still that same thrill? or? I think because the game changes so much as the company grows or scales or pivots, that it is never, you're never playing the same game. And it, and it doesn't get easier, it doesn't get harder, it just gets different. Um, and so it's like once you've kind of reached this level and then you, you're like in the know, you're like, oh, level up. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know anything anymore, Ken. Or like this is a completely different, you know, ballpark. So as long as I think one gets satisfaction in this like always being a little bit like off center um, and and it, it's definitely like challenging, but you're never really – Let's just say there's very little, you know, routine. So, yeah, the game just always changes. And that's why I think there's serial entrepreneurs that keep playing because the game is always different. Right. And yeah. obviously money is not the primary motivator for many people beyond a certain point. For some. So I, Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's like, I really think it's 50-50 out there, to be honest with you. Um, and I don't ne think that's necessarily a bad thing. It, like all things, as long as you're on, like brutally honest with like why you're, why you're here and what you're what success looks like to you, like you do you. Honestly, like it's great. In some cases, it would probably be better if some founders were more greedy with their business model for their company. In some cases, it would be better if maybe they were less. But um, just being honest about that and like, I think is important. Yeah, I just personally, I just want to distance myself from the rest of humanity as much as possible. <laughs> right, I, I don't, your little I don't like people. <laughs> I just want to get as far away from them as I can. <laughs> Give me seven, seven miles of... <laughs> Beach in Hawaii. I don't care who I displace or what I have to do. Some days I feel like that too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just go like farther and farther away. Yeah. Uh, what a remarkable story and what a remarkable life that you've led. Um, I know this is sort of taboo to talk about in the startup world, but do you believe that this mission, because, you know, how do I phrase this? Uh, when people are working, especially if they are a serial entrepreneur, mm -hmm. they are very committed to their project up to the moment that they try to sell it or they get an exit and then they move on to something else. Mm. To what degree do you feel that this particular line of work is, let's say, your life's mission, if you could have such a thing, versus I'm just going to build this company to the best place that I can and then maybe sell it and then maybe do something totally different like mm. a lot of people do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, it's hard to say when you're not in the moment of the decision, but I think when I think about what I value, like what I care about. And for me, like time is like the most precious currency, right? Like it's the thing you, it's very hard to buy more of that, right? To an extent you can, but you know, it's- Well, thanks it's, to you, we might be able to. <laughs> well, if anybody is trying. trying to buy time. <laughs> it's, a, it's the most valuable thing. And, and so I think there may be moments in a journey where it's like, you know, this has- Things have changed in the market. Things have done this and that where this isn't like this isn't going the place that I that is in line with my vision. And so, yeah, it's time to like make realign with that. And that might mean a new chapter. Right. So I think as long as I feel 
connected to what's being built and I have the conviction and I feel like that thing is there, whether it's at Drop Genie or it's with something else. Um, I feel like I'll be okay. Um, but I'm, I don't, I, as much as the company is a part of all of the founders, it's, it, it's not, it's not everything. And and for it to scale, it can't be, right? It needs to live in its own universe and 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 other people come in and, and grow it too. So um, I think, yeah, I think it's like one piece of the journey into my mission and, and the things I want to do in my life and that I'm I'm okay with that. How cool is that? <laughs> That's a great answer. It's a very, it's a very thoughtful answer and very honest. It felt real. Um, it's so awesome. I can't wait to see what happens from this. <laughs> I will continue to watch you from afar. Can I see this thing? Yeah, I'm, yeah. The other thing—not that it does our listeners much good—but <laughs> I'd like to know a little the more. The thing that's cool is we, even though we don't use robotics, um, we integrate with conventional automation. So we we understand that automation doesn't conventional automation doesn't you know solve everything but we know it's an ecosystem that exists so you can actually put our chip in a module or what they call a work cell and and run it and we have like little robot arms that can pull it off and put a new one on and so um yeah it's a it's a fun little fun little uh, just just wild um i can't i mean honestly i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking the time <laughs> especially given the circumstances <laughs> um, to come and, and enlighten me on what is you know truly one of the most fascinating frontiers one of the i mean what if right yeah in 20 30 years who knows and yeah i've heard it said before i, I talked to some people from mit a while back and you know of course there are some people that believe that all of aging and potentially even death mm. is just uh, the product of several different diseases. Mm. Like a car doesn't just break down, something fails. Mm. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it is an interesting thought to wonder mm. if you can fix one thing at a time, mm. at what point do you fundamentally change mm. the human lifespan or the human quality of life? Mm-hmm. Um, as a purely speculative thing, mm. what do you believe that the upper limit of a human lifespan might be? Like Do you believe that immortality, biological mm. immortality is possible or 150 years? You know, I don't know. I haven't thought about it because honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, why would you? Uh, and and you know why? And the reason is because, again, I think it's like there's times where like years go by and it's kind of been not that like not that there's this the, you, the years blur together and then there's like, you know, days where it's like those days you remember so much and so I don't know I feel like I, I feel like it's, it's not that it's not an important and interesting question to work on but it's like what about you know the quality of the time we have I do I do work in this because I do think the odds are sometimes not stacked in certain people's favors and hopefully a technology of like this would democratize at least that it's up to you to live your life in a way that's fulfilling and meaningful to you but let's at least give you the chance to do that whether it's 150 years or 100 years I don't know if longer is necessarily better I'm not sure but um I think it's I guess like just even like academically it's an interesting thing to push the limits Uh, more is not always necessarily better 
I've said it before, and I will say it again. I want to go to the dentist and to the DMV <laughs> 2,000 more times. I want to wait in lines for the, forever. Exactly. <laughs> this life is perfect. I want an inf- I will never, ever, ever get tired of this. That's what you should be working on, never having to go to the dentist again. That's yeah. the real thing we need to solve. Right. Yeah. What do you do with 2,000-year-old teeth? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I, I mean. These are the real questions. Um, yeah, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Um, how cool. I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, I guess if, you know, what, do you have any parting words or where can people support your work? Obviously, the website is drop-genie.com. Um, but yeah, I'll let you wrap this episode up. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, if, if I think part of what we're also really interested in in our effort to make sure all the right stakeholders are at the table when we're starting to democratize gene editing is to get out there and talk about what this could mean and and really have a conversation around this stuff because it is kind of a new frontier. So definitely find me on LinkedIn, reach out. I would love to have a conversation about this. I think it's something we should be talking about and thinking about with all new technologies. Um, it's There's a lot of ways things could go and there's no reason why different citizens can't have a, a voice in sort of thinking about how these new technologies are leveraged to benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you strike me as just not a very bright person. <laughs> I know. I'm a, I'm a disappointment. <laughs> I just, you're not very thoughtful I, in general. I, did, I didn't go to MIT, so. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, oh, I think we're just going to have to cancel this episode. I'd say, oops, oh, the tape oh, wasn't running. Wasn't oh, going. man, I didn't record. <laughs> Dang it. Well, it's been fun. Uh, I'm deeply humbled and blown away. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah. What can I say? How cool. Thank <laughs> it's, you so I'm much. just so excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with that, the official podcast is Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.